it is really hard, I think, to kind of pitch your business to folks that haven't really felt that pain point themselves. That's kind of really what it comes back to. And we had countless conversations with VCs in particular who, um, yeah, who would take the conversation. I think that's something that it took us a while to understand and, and learn is that a lot of people in this space aren't going to explicitly say no to a female founder, um, aren't explicitly going to say no to women's sports and female fans. You know, like that's, they recognize that much that it's like you shouldn't be just kind of like immediately I'm not going to take this this call. But that wasted so much of our time because frankly, um, if you're not actually seriously considering investing, then don't waste my time. call the men's world cup in soccer just the world cup and for women it is the women's world cup why is the nba the national basketball association just for men and the one for women is the wnba i think that says something about how we often treat women's sports people think that they're an add-on a niche market but they would be wrong the 2023 women's world cup was watched by as many people as watched the men's tournament in 2022 the wnba viewing audiences are up 67% in 2023. So what would happen if we thought about women's sports and women in sports as equally valuable as men? Welcome to episode five of Designing for Everyone, a podcast by the Institute for Gender and the Economy, or GATE. I'm Sarah Kaplan, she, her pronouns, and a professor of strategic management at the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management, founding director of GATE, and your podcast host. In this seven-part limited series, we are featuring a high-impact set of conversations we had in April 2023 at our Gender Analytics Possibilities Conference. In this episode, we're going to focus on what using a gender lens in sports analytics might do, and we'll be joined by two accomplished entrepreneurs. Megan Chaika is co-founder of Stathletes, a sports analytics and insights business that provides industry-leading data precision within the sport of hockey. Megan was named a 2018 Top Young Entrepreneur of the Year by the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, Top 40 Under 40 by The Athletic NHL, and Top 100 of Power and Influence by Hockey News. At the Rotman School, she plays a key role in shaping the data science education and research through her work at the TD Management Data and Analytics Lab. And JC DeHoop is a co-founder and head of revenue at The Gist, a sports media startup that makes sports more accessible and inclusive to all sports fans. She leads the company's revenue generation, growing revenue from 100,000 to over 2.5 million in 18 months through partnerships with Under Armour, the NBA, and FanDuel. JC and her team were named to Forbes 30 Under 30 Media 2020 and have been accelerated through programs with Facebook, Comcast, NBC Universal, and Techstars. Gate wrote a case study on the gist, which we'll post in the show notes. Their conversation was moderated by Adil Sethi who is Senior Manager of Business and Content Strategy at Bell Media. As a former professional athlete himself, his experience includes franchise and athlete management, sports marketing, and more recently, plying his trade in the sports betting and online gaming industry. Adel has been an ardent advocate of equality in sports. It was his time as a sports agent to some of India's top women athletes when he witnessed firsthand gender-based discrimination and disparity in the sports industry that gave rise to his research as a GATE MBA fellow that focused on assessing the biases that exist around corporate sponsorship in women's sports and how they can be overcome. Take a listen to what they had to say. 
Um, so both of you work in the intersection of sports and data analytics. Um, both these domains are heavily male dominated. So let's start off with how the both of you discovered business opportunities within these domains. Megan, would you wanna start us off? That's a great question. Cause I mean, there's all sorts of other undertones about entrepreneurship, what startups are, that sort of lifestyle that I think JC and I completely <laughs> have, have gone a path that a lot of people don't go as a woman just because it's, you know, so um, rare and often not encouraged as well. So I think being up here is not only in data and analytics, but also as entrepreneurs, I think is, is like the other uh, footnote to this panel. I would say that for me, I fell into it. Um, like many women entrepreneurs, it wasn't something that I thought, hey, I will do. I fortunately, unfortunately graduated in 2008 with a finance degree. So as you know, that was about one of the worst times in the history of the universe to uh, enter investment banking when full banks were going under. Um, and they say invention is, uh, or necessity is the mother of invention. So I put my hat on and thought of other ways I could use, you know, finance data, uh, economics, all the different tools that I, I learned in an undergrad. And I was, went into graduate school. Um, and my co-founders as well were in business school. So we just started doing business pitches. Um, and, you know, I was pushed, um, to, to be like more entrepreneurial and think differently by my parents from a very young age. So, I like to lean into a bit of that unknown and create things that, you know, weren't created. And I got into the space of data where, you know, when you have results and you can, you have a product that people can use, there's generally buy-in when you're solving problems. So I found that I went sort of a more of an unconventional backdoor, um, thought I would stay in academia or thought I would stay in other areas. Uh, and U of T has been awesome. The Rotman School of Management, uh, the TD Data Lab as having me as a data scientist in residence. So I still get to do a little bit of academia and take, you know, the energy and the excitement from like the student lifestyle and then, you know, go into the my scale up world. And we have about, um, you know, 100, 150 employees at this point. We service all different levels of sports analytics, uh, mainly the elite level into media, into um, sports betting digital, all of these other verticals as well. So, you know, I've had considerable success, but definitely as a woman, there's there's been challenges, which we'll talk about, but that's in general my uh, my journey. Thanks, Megan. JC. Oh my gosh, Megan. I didn't know you had 100, 150 employees. <laughs> that is crazy. And yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. That's a lot, yeah. a lot to, to deal with too. Um, yeah, so hi everyone, I'm JC. I'm a co-founder of The Gist. So um, Megan is very much so in that kind of analytics space. I sit more on the sports media and content side of things. Similarly though, myself and my co-founders came from a business background. Um, my career before starting the gist was in management consulting actually alicia is here we both worked at the same firm um, before starting the gist but really the the concept um, around our startup really came from a pain point that the three of us myself and my co-founders experienced really firsthand working in um, different areas of of finance um, and essentially what the gist is all about for those of you that aren't familiar is we um, are all about really accessibility inclusivity and centering more underrepresented voices in sports making um, sports content and just generally the sports world feel more inclusive. Our values are very rooted in equality and just progressiveness. Um, and particularly as female fans, we, we really felt like on the outside of that sports community, even though all of us grew up 
playing sports and generally being sports fans, there's something about um, the sports world that when you don't look a certain way or haven't grown up uh, with a certain background, it can feel very exclusionary, which is kind of the exact opposite of what sports really can and should be. It's such a such a passion point for so many people. I'm sure we have some Leafs fans in the room. And yet, you know, as a female fan in particular, it's very easy to feel on the outside of that community on the outside of that sports conversation. And so we really created the gist to be the exact opposite of that kind of boys club mentality around sports and to really be a welcoming space for all sports fans. And again, the concept of it just really came about pretty organically. And just from this point, pain point that the three of us um, experienced ourselves and, and we were, it, so my co-founders are friends from, from Queens and we were catching up one night over takeout kind of thing. And I actually think this was in 2017 and the Leafs were also in the playoffs in the first round. And we were talking about it and we were just chatting, you know, as, as girlfriends about how it's so much more engaging to get your sports updates and to be talking about sports with other women and particularly from your kind of sports obsessed best friend, as opposed to some of the more traditional media channels. And we were also talking about how, you know, especially for myself being in a client services kind of role on the consulting side, people really come together over sports. And yet as a female fan, there's always that assumption that you don't really know what's going on, don't care what's going on. Um, not to mention just such an incredible lack of coverage of women's sports as well, which has always been really important to us as, as former athletes as well. Um, so it was that very night when we were having takeout, talking about the Leafs in the playoffs that we were like, we should start a business. And it's always been a business. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. Um, but we should start a business that, again, is the exact opposite of that boys club around sports and really through content and through community we can create something that's just much more inclusive and just makes more people feel like they are a sports fan and that they are are part of that world um so about six months later we launched and started writing the gist newsletter um which if you're not subscribed to sign up the um but essentially the premise of the newsletter which is was our first product and is still our, our main product, um, has been around equal coverage of women's and men's sports, um, but also, again, centering more underrepresented voices in sports. So our entire content team is female identifying. And for those of you who are familiar with our content, um, it's really rooted in those values of equality and progressiveness that, frankly, is just missing in the sports content that, that we receive today. Um, so that's how we kind of came up with with the concept. And like Megan mentioned, um, the sports world, the startup world is, is incredibly male dominated, of course. So there have been lots of, lots of challenges along the way, but overall it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride. I can say overall, I've lost some years of my life, but it's been fun. <laughs> well, I am a subscriber and I think other than all the other target audiences that you're kind of catering to right now, it's even great for someone like me who hasn't had a background in North American sports, I think the way you break down the content and make it so easy and palatable to understand, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just a great way of actually consuming sports content. So thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> yes, and you're exactly our target market. There so you I go. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to summarize 
your you know your your business is is tackling the problem of how sports is represented in in traditional media. So could you talk a bit about some of those distinct approaches you take to cater to that gap that the traditional media is actually kind of put across here? Yeah, definitely. And I, I mentioned these at a high level earlier, but I think there's two really two key things that differentiate our content and the community that we've built um, to what we yeah kind of refer to as more traditional sports media. Um, the first is really rooted in this stat that only 5% of sports media coverage is on women's sports. And that is just so ridiculous. Like, frankly, just given where we are at as a society, that is is just not okay. And I think for those of you that are familiar with the sports industry, like media is really, and content is really at the core of what we consume, the stories that we tell and what drives importance, impressions, views, and therefore dollars in the sports industry. And so it was that stat that only 5% of media coverage is on women's sports that really drove us to ensure that all the content we're creating always has 50-50 equal coverage of women's and men's sports. Um, and that's really been the cornerstone of our content. A lot of the time, we're talking about what's happening on the women's sports side a little bit more because, frankly, there are so many exciting stories and there's so much progress and so much momentum happening. Um, but I think our future state and where we need the sports industry to to move to is that equal coverage so it's also been we don't just cover what's happening in women's sports because i think the way that we need this entire industry to grow is that you are a fan and you're a fan of both women's sports and men's sports and they're on that level playing field that's always been really really important to us the second piece is rooted in the stat that only 14 percent of sports journalists are women so in that content that we create or in the content that we consume around something like sports that again has just so much influence over our culture um it's just it's coming from a very specific um kind of person that is then going to have a certain perspective on what's happening in the world just and is going to write in a certain way and is going to be engaging to certain people and that in many ways is perpetuated why um you know the sports landscape can look really homogeneous and so we have, again, an entirely female identifying content team, um, and we, we really try to ensure that we are centering those underrepresented voices and perspectives. And so this comes through in our content quite a bit um, in terms of the actual storylines that we cover. Um, general, just kind of like progress that's happening in this space is something that really hits with our audience. Um, just women succeeding in sports too. Like we've featured Megan a few times. This is so important to our audience as well. I think we also don't shy away from some of those harder topics. And the reality of the sports world is that there are a lot of problems. There are a lot of issues um, in so many different ways, but that traditional sports media really shies away from and doesn't shine a light on. Um, we have been very unapologetic about having an opinion and making sure that we are speaking to those things because they are really important and they are, um, you know, at the crux of, of many of the issues that, that are happening in the sports world today. Um, and so I think actually having that opinion and in many ways shining a light on some of those things is why our audience who we, 
call our gisters, um, are so sticky and so engaged and, and really are incredibly loyal to us um, because the content is relatable. They see themselves um, in our team that creates, creates that content as well. So those are kind of the three main things. Uh, moving a bit to the data analytics side, Megan, um, I believe it was a statement made by a WNBA spokesperson that you had quoted in one of your interviews, I believe it was last year, and it really resonated with me. I mean, without data, you have no history on these women, right? So from the perspective of a data scientist, what are some of those big missed opportunities um, by not incorporating a gender and intersection lens um, in sports analytics? Definitely in women's sports. And that's actually Sue Bird, who is like a legend in the WNBA. And she wrote that in a Players' Tribune article. So by herself about seven, eight years ago, way before the time when people really thought, okay, analytics is a mainstay in, you know, modern sports. Um, and her point was really, if you don't have the data and analytics and insights and other, you know, technology in these women's leagues, you really miss out on a lot. It's not just the fans consuming it in that moment. It's other media, it's other digital, it's, you know, social media where other creators can talk about your game. It's general fans like Gisters who can't talk about the WNBA except for the box score. So you just have who got points, who got assists. That's all you know, who played, who is in the lineup. You have this whole chasm of all these other athletes that are, you know, Olympic level, elite, representing our countries. And I will say as well, in hockey, it's a really interesting sport because when you look through the sponsorship and the impressions and the numbers from an analytics perspective of like consumers, the women's Olympic gold medal game has the most impressions of every one day event. When you look at like the MLS and F1 and all of that sort of stuff, they had about 5 million uh, eyeballs on that, on that final game. So there's huge compelling business reasons to invest more in time and capital and technology and especially data to be able to tell their stories, have their records and jump off of that. And for me, a lot of the data, when I think about, you know, my company and building something scalable, obviously I'm capitalism first. I need to make money. I need to keep scaling. But I also think that there's a good business case to use anything for the women's game and build that up because there's immense growth opportunity. You're thinking 5 million viewers, and that's completely an afterthought for a lot of broadcasters or, you know, traditional media. So for me, I think it was six, seven years ago, um, you know, I realized the men weren't going uh, from the NHL, weren't going to the Olympics. So I found my contacts. I marched in the building. The gentleman there, he's now doing a, another role. So in a different company. So I, um, I'm not telling anything that would surprise him, but I literally sat down and said, let's do the analytics and data and visuals like we would with the men's game because the best women in the world are playing and the best men are still playing in the NHL. And he thought, yeah, that's a really interesting concept. So he walked me up. We had like a big meeting with the, the full staff. They were like, this is amazing. This will go over really well. And then he turned to me and said, but what about the men? Like it honestly just dawned on him that now the woman's product would be, you know, at a very high level and the men's product would be left behind. And that bothered him. He said, just write a number on that paper. I'll pay you whatever for the men's, but we have to keep it consistent. And I said, oh, isn't that a novel concept? <laughs> you know, <laughs> has that ever happened the other way? You know, and that was sort of a mindset for me that I knew I really had to flip the script, create the business reason, get buy-in. But also these tools, this technology isn't gender specific. It's sport specific, right? There's no reason to not figure out a way to keep building, to keep scaling, 
to keep growing both the men's and women's game the same. And I also say with like JC and she was in, you know, women's sports before it was cool. Now everyone wants to talk about women's sports. That's like the cool growth area. The WNBA, if you don't know, is coming to Toronto in May. There's an ESPNW conference around it as well. It's very in vogue to invest in women's sports at this point. But at the same point, you know, the data, the underlying, you know, issues, it's like now is the time to scale and figure out that, you know, approach that creates sustainability long term. So that even if capital flows in and out, we can still like push forward the game and can keep continuing to push because I think as, you know, women athletes are treated, we see like broader society, whether it's in business, whether it's in finance, very similar undertones um, to women's sports. Well, uh, great segue into my next question and, you know, investing in women's sports and, and is, is pretty cool for sure. <laughs> and I know there's a question that states, you know, what are some of the stats and tactics, um, you know, our panelists use from the back pocket when they're trying to build a case and change someone's perspective. So you'll hear them quite a bit coming through from the conversation, but I really hope this question also kind of uh, feeds into that. But JC, um, you know, there've been, it's been often that you talk about the fact that female millennials are an important target uh, audience for you. Um, but unfortunately, some of the, you know, well, a lot of the investors aren't necessarily female millennials. So how do you connect with investors who either defer or disagree with your focus on, on your, you know, your core target audience? And what have some of the reactions been so far? And maybe if you can add a bit more of you know, how you've kind of persuaded them, kind of tying back to this question um, of, you know, convincing them that it is the place to invest. Yeah, sure. So uh, we, to Megan's point, it wasn't always cool to invest in women's sports and female fans. There has been so much progress in this space over the last kind of like two years in particular, where it's just such a different conversation. So we launched the gist in Canada in 2018 and in the States in 2019. And we needed to fundraise. We immediately needed some capital to kind of get this thing going. And we had quite a journey of speaking with different potential investors. Um, we, we were initially in, as part of the DMZ here in Toronto, we went down to Philadelphia and we're part of Techstars and Comcast, NBC. Um, so we were in these very startup heavy kind of environments that you know the automatic place that you go to for funding is venture capital kind of firms and so a lot of we had a lot of those conversations it was really hard transparently to to fundraise at that time and you know even outside of some of those VCs, we spoke with a lot of senior executives here in Canada in sports media who at that time in 2018, just, you know, told us that there was simply no demand for what we were building and that this just really, there wasn't a space for it, um, which is really hard to hear, I think, especially when you are a very uh, excited first-time entrepreneur and these really senior, really smart people who have been in this space for a long time are telling you that there really isn't a business opportunity here. It certainly um, can be super discouraging, and it was. Um, I think you know, we were able to find investors in creative ways. Kind of in 2018, we ended up finding really strategic angel investors that came on for our very first um, kind of pre-seed um, at that time. And yeah, it definitely was, was a process in finding them. I think 
to your point, Adele, there aren't a lot of um, female millennial investors yet. They are coming. Um, and so I think what we did was really look to, to find people who had that more so values alignment. And so there are a lot of people out there um, and investors in particular that saw the potential in this space. And even if I actually found that even if they didn't, and we do have some investors that really aren't in the sports world, aren't in the media space, like really don't understand in some ways um, the ins and outs of our business, but they understand where this the world is going um, and the way that we see the world and like they agree with. And I think in a lot of ways it, that pre-seed round, really that investment is those investors are coming on because they believe in the founding team and the actual person. And so I think we were fortunate to be able to bring on some investors that got to know us and had a values alignment with us. Um, and, and we're really betting on, on us as founders. Um, but it's, it is really hard, I think, to kind of pitch your business to folks that haven't really felt that pain point themselves. That's kind of really what it comes back to. And we had countless conversations with VCs in particular who, um, yeah, who would take the conversation. I think that's something that it took us a while to understand and, and learn is that a lot of people in this space aren't going to explicitly say no to a female founder, um, aren't explicitly going to say no to women's sports and female fans. You know, like that's, they recognize that much that it's like you shouldn't be just kind of like immediately I'm not going to take this this call but that wasted so much of our time because frankly um if you're not actually seriously considering investing then don't waste my time <laughs> took us some like took us a bit to to really learn and I think that that faster getting to yes or no and that kind of directness is something that we've really had to navigate in this space um because it was really different even just a few years ago. Now I'm happy to say there are so many of those same senior executives in particular who are in sports media who would love to invest in the gist. <laughs> and, you know, we don't have that open door anymore. So it's it's been interesting to see how, um, how progress has really happened. And we're so grateful for that in many ways. Um, I think looking back, we were we were a little bit early which was was discouraging at the time. And I'm so grateful um, that we kind of stuck to our gut and recognized that, you know, not everybody is going to understand this pain point. And that's okay. We need to focus on the people that do and that see the broader vision here. Um, but it definitely took a bit of perseverance and kind of resilience at that time too. I hear you. I mean, um, I think this concept of, of, of this vicious cycle in, in sport in women's sports where you know it's it's hard to kind of pierce where where you start off and i think when you started off this this process um you had to find creative ways to do so and probably not the case anymore for the good so which is great um i think my next question to megan here um you know you, you've often talked in previous discussions about um hoping to see the likes of Haley wickenheiser um, ascend to more elite positions uh, within the industry. Uh, for those of you who may not know who w uh, Haley Wickenheiser is, she is a former member of the Canadian National Ice Hockey Team and was so for 23 years um, and is now the Assistant General Manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, so I want to kind of understand, Megan, what are some of the concrete benefits 
um, from these moves and, and what holds us back from seeing some of these moves come up in the future? Yeah, there's a couple layers to that question, but I think first off is, you know, going back to JC's comment about fundraising, it's just tough. Like there was a tough environment for women. So we went from zero assistant general managers to now there's four being appointed within the last year and a half. So a very big change, very big different, and women in positions where they're managing people, they're the end decision maker. It's not just a checklist that people feel that they have to make, but making like considerable change and giving the reins of power to women as well. You know, about 2% of venture capital goes to women-led or women, um, uh, you know, funded um, startups. So it's a huge issue in the tech world as well. And then you layer that with the business world where actually women CEOs in the Fortune 500 have just passed the name John for being a CEO. We're beating Johns, you know, which is my brother. So it's kind of funny. Um, but, you know, my brother was a co-founder with me as well with um, my husband. And he ended up uh, taking a job being one of the youngest or the youngest GM presidents and sat on the board of uh, governors as well. So. You know, I see the different movement um, from men in sports to women in sports and to see the same pathway trajectory when you have the background, the skill set, and then are given opportunities as well. I think, you know, that's been lacking in the past. With that said, you know, there is that movement where now you see women executives as a, a market that has been overlooked uh, historically. And there's so many great candidates. And the women's team is is one good example because Typically, women athletes go to the NCAA. Many cases, they're Ivy League graduate. You know, graduates. They have to work that much harder, have second jobs while they play hockey. Um, so many of them have like you know Harvard pedigree and all you know X Y Z to be great executives. They just need that next step, that next opportunity. Um, so even in my company as well, looking towards women in data science and engineering and all of these faculties, which have good representation in university. And then for whatever reason, in the corporate world, in, uh, you know, that innovation sector tend to drop off and don't get those leadership roles. So I try to heavily recruit um, in different departments and, you know, have that outreach and that at least interview um, candidates that I feel like would be great um, in the pipeline and not only in the pipeline, but pr promoting them to roles that, you know, they can thrive in and have that upward mobility and I have three or four managers that are women that take on um, a large amount of staff and, you know, overachieve and have a lot of people that say, well, how did you find them all? And it's like, well, you know, doing this year over year for 15 years, there starts becoming a, you know, a scaling effect where you're able to reach a lot more different candidates. And I'm different to begin with. So that helps in, you know, where I know where to keep not only find them but create that environment where there's two-way conversations, women see that there's a potential for them in a space that they've never thought of before. So it's really motivating to seeing those hirings change, you know, all um, different departments look towards different, you know, people that would not necessarily in the past 20 years work in those, those roles, those departments and being interviewed and now being granted jobs. Nice. Um, so talking about more diversity inclusion in the tech space and, and, and how it's gaining momentum, thanks to the likes of you. Um, how might these changes um, change the way we produce and consume content in the future? It's open to both of you. 
I think with the content piece, especially with data, I think that's why it's so important to have, you know, data um, from women's sports or women in sports at a similar level, because the engagement and the growth opportunities is not just in, you know, the traditional spaces. It's in all these other areas. And we're seeing when capital and eyeballs and they're put on linear TV at times when people can tune in, they're getting the viewership. So creating a more meritocracy with content creation, I think just helps everyone. And also I will say, because to JC's credit, the gist was way about like before their time, I think also just not having men step in and say, okay, now we'll take over women's sports. It's like, no, help elevate companies like the gist that, you know, figured out the market, are scalable, have put in the time, are female led, have done all the work, you know, help them grow and evolve too, because, it's one thing to say, okay, women's sports is here, but like we all have to get together and help the whole system of everyone that really is passionate and puts the time, effort, and capital behind the scalable approach. So whether that's social media, you know, TikTok, you see young people up to four hours, I think it's in between like 15 to 18, they're on TikTok a night. So they're they're consuming sports data, media. Um, creating their own content in, in entirely different ways than, you know, has happened in the last 30 years. So thinking about business models, about, you know, what, how we approach that with data um, at a foundational level and really like level the playing field for everyone. I agree. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to shift gears a bit again, and this is probably one for me, uh, but sports betting has been uh, a very actively trending topic for the past three to four years when the industry due to all the legislative and regulatory changes across North America. With an increased focus of sports content and data catering to betting, has the exponential growth of sports betting um, increased engagement in women's sports? And if so, how so? What does the data tell us? Yeah, I can go first. Sure. Um, yes, the sports betting industry is certainly growing, as all the stats have shown. Um, and we, I actually just came from a, an event where the WNBA and the NWSL and a lot of the sports books were, were talking about this. And, you know, sports betting in many ways is, is very much so here to stay. And it can really, it can really elevate that fan experience and can really drive incredible engagement. And so, I, it, the, it, the sports books really need to be providing opportunities to be betting and again, driving that engagement and growth and viewership around women's sports. Um, Megan would probably know about this better than I, but I know we've heard a lot from, from some of the sports books that it's, uh, they don't have the data to do so and kind of that historical data to be able to provide the odds and provide some of those same opportunities that they do on the men's side. Um, we've tried to be very selective and intentional about those that we, those sports books that we are working with and ensuring that there is again, equal opportunity in that level playing field around if you're going to engage with sports betting around men's sports and who we're working with needs to be offering that on the women's sports side as well, um, because it can be a tool for growth and engagement and it is really important. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we've seen. And I know that a lot of the women's leagues are are doing a lot to with a lot of the sports books to be able to have that data and to be able to facilitate um, that kind of engagement through betting. I think too with the betting space, it's really an interesting uh, 
you know, engagement point because you see in like the WNBA people returning to watch a blowout in the fourth quarter because they want to see if their prop bet hit, if that person got a rebound, if they got a shot. And that had never happened in sports before. They just turn off the channel and watch whatever Netflix. Um, So that returned eyeballs for women's sports, I think, is incredibly important. And a lot of the sports books do see like the growth of women's sports, too, and being a demographic that also pulls in women that are watching sports, both from the men's side and from the women's side. So it's a good investment. But you're entirely correct. Without like the infrastructure to have accurate, efficient data that can get out to sports books that they can set lines on, you know, you're just basically betting on the final score over under the very traditional bets, whereas a lot of, um, you know, bettors that aren't like sharps that aren't, you know, committed to like making bets, the more casual fan that you want to engage with, they want these like novel bets where it's like, who will score the goal? Will there be five goals in the third period? All of those you need more advanced data for. So it's sort of a call to action for leagues, women's leagues, especially like in this sort of startup phase they're going through to get it right on the data side. And then it's also a call for sports books to be very mindful about wrapping in women's sports. So if they are talking about a certain NBA bet, why not throw in a WNBA bet? Why not make same game parlays, which basically just means like a few bets on the same game. Why not make it across sports? So it's not just one game, but you can make, you know, multi-layer boosts um, for your, your clients or whoever's logging on to your sports book. So I think that there's definitely ways to optimize and bring women's sports, women's sports leagues up to that level. And the sports books can do it from, you know, very early on in their journey. It just became uh, legal in Ontario since last April. So, you know, hasn't really even been a year of development. Um, So it's not a huge step to ask them, hey, think of women's sports as well as men, or in some cases, women's sports first. Right. Thanks for that. Um, I assume some of the terms that Megan used were a bit you know, they were. They may have been going over your head. And I think it's an important thing to kind of talk about the casual sports fan. And I think something that just does really well is that education piece around sports betting. So maybe talk a bit about how you kind of bring in the casual sports fan into that ecosystem that drives greater engagement in women's sports. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we are all about engaging new fans and more casual fans overall. So sports betting is, is a piece of that. But, you know, going back to kind of the overall premise of the gist is that sports should really feel like they're for everyone. And for those of you in the audience that might be a more casual fan, or you're like, I honestly don't care, or I'm just not interested. Like that is really fair because the sports industry has, has really made so many people feel like an afterthought or really made sports not feel like it's for you. And you know, how much of that is nature versus nurture. Maybe if it's this, if this content is actually created with you in mind and created for you, it's going to be that much more engaging. So that is something that is really important to us is that I think even myself, you know, I go really deep on certain sports and there are other ones that I just have never felt like is for me. And it's just, it doesn't seem interesting. And through the gist, because I consume so much sports content now, um, I've, I've seen my, my fan journey kind of evolve. And certainly education is a huge piece of that. I think for those of us that might not have grown up in a sports household with a game on all the time or grew up somewhere else where you haven't been around Western sports, it's again, just really easy to be on the outside of that conversation, on the outside of that community and to kind of start consuming sports content. There is, um, or to kind of just follow what's happening in 
playoffs right now in the NHL, there is certainly this assumption that you already know how it's structured and already know everything going on. Um, and so we try to always take that step back and never assume that somebody grew up with this sport, which is something that's, um, again, really comes through in our content. So we create a lot of educational content um, and we really try to nurture somebody through that kind of fan journey. And that might mean, um, you know, eventually sports betting as well. But in many cases, it just means including more people and getting more people interested in sports and women's sports, of course, is a big piece of that too. You know, for so many of us, um, you might not, and especially in Canada, like we really don't have access to WNBA games and so many women's sports. And so for many of us, you know, it's, it's hard to be a women's sports fan. And again, when the content isn't created with you in mind, of course, it's going to be hard. Of course, it's not going to be interesting or engaging. So we always, again, try to kind of take that step back, be really intentional with the wording that we're using, always explaining different acronyms or pronunciations that can be really tricky, explaining the structure of things. And being careful about doing so never in a condescending way. I think that's what can be really tricky with this space is that um, a lot of it, it. Yeah, it can just be condescending sometimes when you're catering to a female fan and there's like this shrink it and pink it kind of mentality. A lot of the time that comes from, frankly, like really avid senior folks at a sports media company that look a certain way and have been sports fans all their life trying to create content for a demographic that they don't understand and don't understand how sophisticated and smart they are too. So we have done a lot of testing and, and a lot of just understanding our audience and making sure that we strike that right balance and that right tone while being really inclusive and trying to bring more people into the conversation and really hopefully, you know, spark an interest in sports that a lot of fans might not have had um, before. So educational content is a big piece of that. And we, um, you know, we really provide it across a lot of different mediums too. Everyone kind of learns and engages with content in different ways. So our main product again is our newsletter. Um, and so that kind of succinct written form is, is really our kind of bread and butter, but we'll do, we've been experimenting a lot with what that can look like on socials, on TikTok, and more of that kind of visual graphic way too. Um, and we get so much engagement around it. I think that's something that's been really cool to see as well, how many people out there really want to understand something a little bit more and don't really know where to go for that content. So all of our kind of more introductory educational content um, around sports, sometimes around sports betting too, does, does really well and gets really high engagement. What a great conversation with these entrepreneurs in the sports industry. What struck me particularly was the idea that women's sports have historically been treated as a niche market that's not worth investing in. Yet Megan and JC make it clear that there's a huge upside potential in this market. I loved it when Megan pointed out that any investment in a women's sports opportunity was seen as needing an equal investment in men's sports, but never the other way around. With the massive global attention to the most recent Women's World Cup in soccer, along with the attention to unequal pay and sexist treatment of athletes, to the towering success of athletes like Serena Williams, to the dramatic rise in sports betting on women's sports, people are beginning to see the opportunity for what it is. Thank you for listening to this special edition GATE audio production podcast on Designing for Everyone. 
If you haven't listened to them already, I hope you will check out the other six episodes in this limited edition series and other Gate Audio podcasts, including our signature podcast, Busted, where we bust common myths about gender and other forms of inequality. Just search for Institute for Gender and the Economy where you get your podcasts. Of course, you can help us get the word out by liking and following the podcast and telling your friends. We are nowhere without our community of listeners. If you want to keep learning, head to our website at genderanalytics.org, where you can discover our online course offerings and much more. This podcast was produced by me, Sarah Kaplan, and edited by Ian Gormley. We are grateful for support from the Rotman School's TD Management and Data Analytics Lab, who co-hosted the Gender Analytics Possibilities Conference with GATE. See you next time. Thank you.